WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well, with your host, Boston Radio veteran, Ken Meyer. One of the great things about doing a program like City Talk is that you get to talk to all kinds of Boston broadcasting legends, and one of them is here with us tonight. He has been the voice of the Boston Symphony. He has a current show on Sunday nights and has been around the Boston area for many, many years. And if you want to talk about people like Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett, there's nobody better than to be able to do that and also have as a friend, Ron Della Chiesa. Ron, how are you? I'm fine, Ken. Boy, what an introduction. I hope I live up to that. Oh, there's <laughs> no, you already I'm, have. I've often said have. I'm a, I've often said it. it's nice to be around, you know, to hear these accolades and and uh, especially talk to you. We've known each other for such a long time. I see you at all kinds of events. And uh, you're you're an expert on radio from your days. I used to listen to you on Larry Glick's show. And we always run into each other. And it's always good to see you. And thanks Larry, for keeping Radio Talk live. I appreciate that. Larry Glick, I remember him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you should. Um, you're involved with two icons. One of them, unfortunately, just passed away. But you told me once that you have been involved with Tony Bennett for 35 years. Can you explain how that got started? Yes, I will. And that's, I, of course, I had always known and uh, heard of Tony when I was growing up and going to high school, even back to Quincy High School in 1955. And his his records were all over the place. They were being played on jukeboxes. With those of us who remember jukeboxes, and they played on all the, all the radio stations. You know, top forty radio. Tony had all those early big hits: "Rags to Riches," uh, "Stranger in Paradise," "Boulevard of Broken Dreams." Uh, all those hits that I remember in high school, and then I carried that on through my college years at Boston University School of Communication. But it wasn't until about 35 years ago that I actually met Tony Bennett. And uh, it was it was down at Joan Kennedy's house on the Cape in the Kennedy compound where she lived. And uh, he was down. She had invited us to a party. My wife, Joyce, and I went down. And there's Kenny. There's uh, Tony at the party and with his young daughter, Antonia Bennett, who was at that time 10 years old. We walked up and I told him how much I admired him from my years going back to 55. And he said, well, that's great. He said, this is my daughter, Antonia. And we hit it off right right away. We started talking about his early days at Columbia, recording all those hits I just talked about and only mentioned a few of them, to his days uh, being on the road and doing all those hundreds and hundreds of concerts. He said, next time I come to Boston, I'm going to come to your studio. And he came over to WGBH. I was doing my afternoon show at the time called music america and uh we hit it off again he stayed around for about an hour and he said to me you know my daughter antonia's uh, grown up now she's going to be coming up to boston at the berkeley college of music and i said well that's great he said i told her to look up you and your wife i know you'll you'll look after her because she's going to be new to boston and that was the beginning of a long beautiful relationship with tony every time he came up to see Antonia. He'd also visit us. We'd go out, have dinner. And uh, Antonia became my wife Joyce's goddaughter. So it was a very special, special 
friendship that lasted right up till the, the very end. Well, you can't do any better than that. Um, you hear all kinds of stories about different songs and different hits. <laughs> and I think one of the most poignant and interesting was involving I Left My Heart in San Francisco. Um, do you remember that story or know about that story? Yes, there are many different versions of that story, but I'll tell you what I believe is the correct version that I heard from Tony. Uh, he was, I believe, in Arizona or New Mexico on a tour. You know, one of the hundreds and hundreds of places he visited. He loved to tour. And uh, his, his piano player at the time was a wonderful piano player named Ralph Sutton. And Ralph was up in his hotel room and he was looking through a suitcase of some of his clothes that he wears on the road. And underneath a, a pile of shirts, I believe, there was the sheet music. And on the top it said, I left my heart in San Francisco. So Ralph called Tony in the other room and said, Tony, let's meet down in the bar. We're going to San Francisco for our next concert. I've got an idea. So Tony and Ralph went down to the bar and uh, Ralph put the music up front of him on the piano and he started to play it and Tony started to sing it and there was only one other person in the room beside Ralph Sharon and Tony Bennett and that was a unnamed bartender whose name to this day is probably not known after they finished the song the bartender said you should record that that's going to be a big hit <laughs> they went to San Francisco for their concert the, the following eve they sang it, and the audience went wild. So we can be grateful that was it. There was a bar. There was a bartender who recognized the potential of that song. It was written by a, a couple of other gentlemen. I can't remember their name, but it had been around a while until, but until Ralph brought it out of his suitcase under the shirts and played it in that bar for that bartender with Tony, nobody knew it. You know, we're talking about Sinatra and Bennett. I've heard that Sinatra recorded that song. In fact, I've heard it, but they took it off the market after about a month and nobody yep. knows why. I, do, you, do you know why? I really don't because, uh, you know, they were Tony and Frank were good friends. I don't think it had anything to do with that because many times Frank Sinatra said, Tony Bennett is my favorite singer. Matter of fact, he's the best singer anywhere. Tony, of course, admired Frank because he was younger. He was the new kid, new kid on the on the, on the block, and uh, and uh, Tony uh, Frank took a great interest in promoting uh, Tony Bennett's career. So I I don't know why that happened. Interesting story. I I never could figure that out. Now, Tony did Tony Tony did a lot of Sinatra songs. Yes, he did. He did. And uh, matter of fact, he recorded an album of Frank's biggest hits. And he won uh, one of many, many Grammys for that album. Great to hear. Great to hear Tony sing the Sinatra songbook because you can hear the uh, how different they sounded. You know, I've often said a lot of singers can imitate Frank Sinatra, but who can imitate Tony Bennett? There's nobody <laughs> out there. Yeah. Yet, yet at least, you know. I don't think there ever will be. No, Tony had a, yeah, Tony had such a distinctive sound, you know, that 
melancholy, smoky, melancholy uh, delivery, particularly on his ballads. I mean, he could he sang from his heart all the time. And you, you felt that impact, whether you were listening in recordings or listening in concerts. Uh, the reaction was all the same. Uh, he could reduce people to tears when he sang those beautiful ballads. Uh, how do you keep the music playing, for example, is one of them. Strangers in Paradise, another one. Uh, yep. You know, all those great songs that Tony had his own. He put his own style and imprint on every one of those songs. And every performance he gave in a concert, he would always come up with something a little bit different, different, a little subtlety in the, in the song and interpretation that he hadn't sung that way before. You are the proud owner of the Tony Bennett collection. Yes. Tell me about it. Well, I'll tell you what a great story, because uh, he had told me about it. He said the New York Times had been done a great review about the complete catalog of Tony Bennett and everything he ever recorded on Columbia that became Sony. And uh, after he told me on the phone about it, how pleased he was with the review, that they said that this was uh, one of the greatest collections ever recorded of the American Songbook within... Two or three days, guess what came from F from uh, special delivery? <laughs> the a entire box record. set. <laughs> yeah, the entire wow. box set. I think it's I think it's about eighty CDs. I mean, it is immense. Terrific, <laughs> terrific notes. There's like a booklet that comes with it, tells you where every song was recorded, what orchestra, composer, lyricist, recording date, where it was recorded. And I was amazed. I started listening. I said, I never knew how much this man recorded outside the, the uh, big hits, you know. But he recorded virtually, I think, even more than Sinatra, probably. Or they might be very close, but it's all there. It's all there. Great songs from movies, Broadway shows that I never knew he had recorded. I, I, a couple of other songs that he did that popped into my head, two of them. Uh, Blue Velvet and Just in Time. Two great songs, Blue Velvet, yeah. Then he made a, he made a, duet, a couple of duets albums, too, and he re-recorded some of those big hits with other singers, like Barbara Streisand and uh, some of the other famous singers that he recorded with uh, the young, young singers, too, like Katie Lang and uh, Katie Lang and also Diana Krall. He, and uh, even the, the great singer Amy Winehouse, who unfortunately died much too young, he recorded Body and Soul with her. So he was very, very active in promoting young singers. And also had, he had his favorite singers who were, were favorites with him in the past. So, of course, he recorded New York, New York with Sinatra, as you know. Yes, so, I heard that on the uh, Duets album, as a matter of fact. I've yeah. heard that. Yeah. How would you compare the two of them? as far as songs and as far as personality is concerned? Two very distinct personalities. Frank Sinatra was somebody who loved to hang out with his buddies. He, he was a member of the Rat Pack with Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr., Joey Bishop. And uh, there was another member of that Rat Pack, the actor who was uh, married one of the Kennedys. You could probably come up with his name. Uh, I can't right now. Peter Lawford, Peter Lawford. Peter Lawford, yeah. That, that was the original Rat Pack. So Frank liked to party. I mean, after he would be in the recording studio or give a concert or 
if he was at a uh, party. He wanted to keep it going any way he could. So you either were with Frank to hang up, hang out, or you left. Dean Martin, he wouldn't go to party. He wanted to get up early and play golf. Frank would party until four, five, six, seven, eight in the morning, and then sleep through the afternoon. Tony Bennett, he didn't really, he didn't want to do that. Tony would rather get up and go to a museum or take his uh, his painting pad, his sketch pad, and go out and sketch around Central Park where he lived. Uh, Tony was the kind of guy who was uh, very immersed in art history, all kinds of history relating to sculpture, painting, the Italian Renaissance. That was his life outside of singing. And uh, he took great pride in that, that he really immersed himself in the world of art. Many of his paintings now are in the Smithsonian and in the Butler Institute of Art. If Tony had never sung a note, he would have been one of our great American painters, and he is. If you just look at his work, just, just extraordinary. Watercolors, sketches, oils, paintings of Italy, paintings of New York City, all he loved to sketch and paint constantly, constantly. The one thing I heard about Sinatra was, you know, when you met him, he would treat you like royalty. But if you ever did anything that would upset him, he would be mad at you for the probably your life. Well, yeah, in, in several cases, that's probably true in his early days. But, you know, he was he was haunted and pursued by the press the so-called paparazzi, and uh, they would take every chance they could to get at Frank, uh, pursue him, shout angry things to him, uh, insult his Italian heritage. So he, he developed a very tough skin, and he was not one to take that kind of abuse. If somebody wrote a bad thing about him in a column, he would, he would really uh, not be friendly with that person again. Or if there was an altercation or somebody did something he didn't like in a nightclub or run over to a table and said something to him. You know, he would, he was very volatile. And for many reasons, sometimes I couldn't blame him. Uh, yeah. Tony, Tony, on the other hand, was always a gentleman. Uh, he, Tony had, Tony didn't have that kind of disposition. He, uh, uh, he was more friendly. I think the times when people wanted a, his autograph, although Frank could be a wonderful guy too, but, you were right. At times, some people crossed him, and he never forgot it. So many people talk about Sinatra and his singing. But a lot of people forget that he was a great actor as well in the movies. That's correct. Yeah, he was great. I mean, you look at From Here to Eternity, Pal Joey, Manchurian Candidate, uh, all of these fabulous movies he made, Guys and Dolls, all of these fabulous movies he made. He was a great actor, and he could bring his uh, his own style into the role and immerse himself in the character so that you, you really believed in who he was playing. Tony made one movie, and it was a bad movie. It was called The Oscar. And uh, it, was a, it, it, it bombed in the movie theaters. And he met Cary Grant, and Cary said, Tony, uh, you got to stick to singing. You wouldn't change an apple, would you? And Tony said, right. So he, he learned he learned that singing was his thing and he left acting. And uh, I think for good reason. He knew where people were always there for his singing. And right from the beginning, that's where he was. That's where he was. I, I loved Sinatra, but I could not understand how. I mean, I, I always thought that 
he hung around too long. Kind of like when mm-hmm. Willie Mays played ball. And I could never understand how those duet albums went platinum. Because mm-hmm. he just he just didn't sound the same anymore. I could never well, figure that out. Well, I think his public demanded it. I think that they they were very uh uh they, they didn't they didn't want Frank to go away. And every time he walked on that stage, I mean, before he sang a note, there people were standing up and cheering and wouldn't let him off the stage. So I think even with his limited vocal resources, I mean, nobody sings uh, 50 years ago like they, they would 50 years later. I think he was spy- inspired by the audience and his sold out concerts to just get up there and do it as best he could. And so that carried over into the duets period. Uh, he was singing concerts when he recorded the duets, as you know. Some of them were out, and he he get popularized a lot of them with Liza Minnelli and uh, Steve Larson, he Gourmet. He went out on the road with Dean and Sammy. And, of course, their voices had changed, too. So uh, they were just superstars in the entertainment world. So I don't think it meant that much to the audience as it did to the critics uh, who said he had lost it all. But I think he still had the charisma right up to the end when he quit. He had a last concert, I think, in Boston, one of his last concerts. And he, uh, of course, he was, he spoke through his last concerts mostly. He, he was able to speak through the lyrics and uh, bring back the poetry and the lyrics rather than sing them and hit those high notes that he couldn't hit anymore. So I, I, think, it was a ma- I think it's a matter of the public demanding him. And he, he didn't want to leave. I saw him in 1975 uh, at Boston Garden, and he was terrific. He was mm-hmm. absolutely terrific. I heard that voice, and I said, geez, I didn't think he could still sound that good. And, yeah. and he did, and uh, you know, gave a lot of credit to a fellow you may have heard of named Nelson Riddle besides. That's right. Nelson Riddle, perhaps one of the greatest arrangers of all time, and that, that, that recording of Got You Under My Skin I was said it to be the ultimate yeah. arrangement of a song. And he had to sing that at every performance, you know, and uh, those, those were his so-called saloon songs that he got requested for again and again. Uh, and, yep. and, you know, he, he was able to bring that sad, poignant quality to all of those, all of those songs that he sang. And uh, set him up, Joe, angel eyes, things like that, yeah. you know, and, and he would walk off the stage with his coat, over his shoulder with his back to the audience and fade away. You know, that was all part yep. of his act. And he was able to yep. pull that off like nobody else. Tony, however, just Tony, however, just stayed there and sang song after song after song with a big smile on his face. You know, yeah. he always did. He could do a little dance too, a little dance routine with his daughter, Antonia, which was nice. And uh, totally different sound in the voice, too, as you know. Yep, definitely. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Did he um, did he quit recording too early? In your opinion, uh, Tony? Yeah, not at all. If you listen to some of Tony's recordings, that right up to with uh, with uh, Lady Gaga, you listen to things that he did with Lady Gaga. Anything goes cheek to cheek. The voice is still there, and it's powerful. He can hit those high notes, not like he used to, but he's able to get up there. And uh, his voice, yeah, his voice was in great shape, even for the uh, final concert at 
at Radio City, two final concerts at Radio City. It wasn't the voice it was 30 or 40 years ago, but a lot of it came back in moments. You thought you were listening to the old Tony Bennett. Remarkable how he was able to fight Alzheimer's and, and do those two shows. They're historic shows. No one has ever done that at that age. I think he was 85 or 86 when he was able to pull that off. And of course, uh, he died. He died. Uh, today would have been his 87th birthday, by the way. Uh, wow. So, yeah, today. That's, we that's all amazing. thought he was going to make we all thought he was going to make 100 the way he was going. I watched a, uh, a piece that somebody did on Gene Pauley's Sunday morning CBS program. And he said that he ran into Tony uh, in Central Park. And he asked him about the concert with Lady Gaga. And Tony had absolutely no memory of it. That's, oh, really? that's kind of sad. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, you know, it came in spirits and, uh, of, of times when he couldn't put the face together with the with the uh, name. But other times, other times he could tell you who he was, where he was and what he was singing. So, yeah, Tony's a great study on music and Alzheimer's from these experts in that disease. And it just sort of proves and resonates with all of us that I think music is one of the last things to go. Probably <laughs> is, you know. Tell yeah. me, let's 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 talk about your well. Are you, well, first of all, are you surprised that in this day and age there is still interest among people with like uh, that are interested in Sinatra and Bennett? No, just like people will always be interested in, in Michelangelo, Raphael. Da Vinci, George Gershwin, Cole Porter, Johnny Mercer were going to a museum and looking at paintings by the great John, John Singer Sargent. Uh, you know, Tony, when he sang, I called him the John Singer Sargent of, of singers because Sargent's painting, I mean, there's a whole wing in the Museum of Fine Arts where you can walk in and look at John Singer Sargent's work. I mean, he was the greatest portrait painter perhaps America, America ever produced and one of the world's greatest. And he was American-born, and he uh, his his work is all there for you to see. He was he was one of Tony's favorite painters. So I always like to say that that will those will never those will be there forever. But a lot of the stuff that's coming out today, you know, is is really loud, vulgar trash that uh, certainly will not last. <laughs> it's uh, it's just it's just loud and noisy. There's so much beauty in what Tony was doing. With each and every one of those songs, he himself, when he sang, was painting a portrait like his idol John Singer Sargent. So I don't think I can say any more to that. But look what's, look how our culture has dumbed down. Look what's happened. I mean, these, uh, these artists, these opera singers that we know, they don't get paid anywhere near what uh, these other singers who fill arenas get paid. And the music is loud. It's, some can be very annoying. And some of it is just bad music. You know, Duke Ellington said, music is either good or bad. <laughs> and uh, I think you'll agree. Yep, absolutely. Now, let's talk a little bit about your career. You have, since we talked in 2018, uh, you have retired from uh, the Boston Symphony or uh, and, and Tanglewood, yes? Yes, I did. I think that is one of the great jobs in radio, and I was privileged to have it. And I, I experienced things I would never have experienced in my life 
being in that uh, broadcast booth for uh, 33 years, both at Symphony Hall and Tanglewood, as you mentioned, Ken. I mean, can you imagine? There were some nights at Tanglewood where John Williams was conducting. And I said to myself, what a lucky guy I am to be here and send this music out to the world. Because, you know, the Boston Symphony transmitted its signal all over the world, streamed the BSO concerts, and then would air them again, both at Symphony Hall and Tanglewood. So they're there for posterity. But the, you name it, in the classical world, I mean, they were at Tanglewood or Symphony Hall. And uh, when I left that broadcast booth after those performances sometimes, I was like walking on air and I would hear people commenting and saying great things, how lucky they were to be there and hear these performances that, you know, were just so electrifying is the word to say and be there and be a part of it as it went out live. You know, you can't, you can't fool the people when you do it live, as you know. <laughs> and uh, I would frequently want to get in on, say, to come out on the sidewalk after the performance. Did you hear that? Wow. And people would say, I can't believe what I heard, you know. And I was always encouraging people to get to Symphony Hall, not just listen to the radio broadcast, but get to the hall and hear the orchestra live, because that is the true experience, you know, when yep. you're there. Yeah, with the audience yep. and everybody. Yep. I've and been there. You've been there, you know. And you can you could have heard the audience response standing and shouting bravo. And some of the, sometimes they wouldn't let these young artists leave the stage, you know. Uh, Joshua Bell, what a brilliant violinist. Uh, Midori, uh, great pianist that I heard there at, at the hall uh, playing with the symphony orchestra. Rotha Rubinstein, uh, Vladimir Horowitz, some of the great legends that were there on that stage, my gosh. And, uh, and what a history in the hall, you know. It opened in 18, uh, I believe, 1881 the first BSO concerts continues to this day unbroken tradition now did you not tell me that Yo-Yo Ma the great celloist was at your retirement Yo-Yo Ma no he, no, he played that afternoon but he you know who was at my retirement is uh, the great the great conductor uh, from the San Francisco Orchestra formerly Boston Symphony Orchestra I'm trying to think of his name he conducted Beethoven's uh, Ninth Symphony. Uh, he's been, he's been suffering. He's been battling a, a disease. Excuse me. <coughs> His name. He was with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra too. It'll it'll come to me. Uh, <laughs> Michael Tilson Thomas. There we go. Oh yes, Michael, I know that Michael, name. Yep. You know you know that name. He was. Yep. He studied under Leonard Bernstein. And always oh, speaking of Leonard Bernstein, the, one of the highlights of being in in radio with the BSO and Tanglewood and Symphony Hall was for having Leonard Bernstein conduct. I mean, that was an amazing, amazing man, as you know. There's a movie coming out soon about Leonard Bernstein's life. He was, he was, he was, a, he was a force. He was like a, he was like a, a electricity on stage. And uh, his protege was Michael Tilson Thomas. So he was there at the last concert that I hosted on the radio and he conducted the Ninth Symphony and, what a send-off that was. It was incredible. Really. I, re I can remember listening and watching some of his young people's concerts on CBS right. television. Right. You saw those concerts. You could see what he was like on the podium. Bradley Cooper yeah. is playing. Bradley Cooper is playing the part of Leonard Bernstein. The movie's coming out, I believe, 
sometime in the fall. Uh, they were doing some shooting at Tanglewood last season and the season before. So we're going to see how that turns out. Because it, in order to play Leonard Bernstein, you have to be extraordinary. Beyond extraordinary, you have to be a genius. <laughs> All right. Tell us what you're doing now. Well, besides, I, cooking, besides cooking great meals for your wife. Oh, no, I, she does all the cooking, Ken. She does all the oh, cooking. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, we uh, I come home, we usually put on an opera recording or Tony Bennett or Frank Sinatra or any, anything as long as it's high quality. And, <laughs> uh, and we listen to that. And then she brings out these fabulous Italian dishes. One of my all-time favorites is gnocchi. Do you know what that is? No, I can't say as they do, unfortunately. Gnocchi's a kind of a, a pasta, like a dumpling, an Italian dumpling. Oh, yeah. Smothered, yeah, I know what it with, is now, yeah. Yeah, smothered with marinara yeah. sauce. And it's one of my favorites. She put Parmesan cheese on it. She also likes to do fish dishes for me, uh, a thing called vongole, which is an Italian pasta with clams in it, small baby clams. It's out of sight, man. Terrific. So I'm I'm busy eating a lot, and uh, we go out. <laughs> we go, we go. We love going to the movies now. The pandemic is over, yep. and we we go to see opera in high definition, which I don't know if a lot of people know about it. But the Metropolitan Opera now, for the past thirty years, has been doing opera live from the Met in New York on the big screen. You can see all these operas, and it's translated for you. They take you backstage. They tell you the story. And then it's live, man. It hits, the curtain goes up, and you are there at the Met, live. And uh, it's an extraordinary experience. And you see it on the big screen. And it's playing at local cinemas like the Randolph Cinema. I think the Dedham Cinema here has it, Boston Common Cinema. So we, we see about seven of those a year. And occasionally mm -hmm. we'll go down to New York and see a real live performance at the Met. So... It's, you know, it's, and then my show, of course, as you mentioned on, on Sunday night doing uh, Strictly Sinatra and the Music America featuring all the great artists I've known and loved, like, like Tony and Ella Fitzgerald, Count Basie, Duke Ellington, Sarah Vaughan, uh, Harry Connick Jr., uh, Diana Crowley, the list goes on and on. But now I've been there now for 26 years. Really? Yeah, 26 God. years of WPLM. Easy 99.1 on the FM yep. dial. Got a great signal, as you know. Oh, yeah. We can pick it up here. We can pick Good. it up here. Good. Is there is there a time when Ron Della Chiesa is going to say, I'm going to step back and let somebody else do this? You know, I, I say to myself, I, I can't envision myself doing that as long as I can do it. Uh, you know, when, when, the, when the voice goes, and sometimes it happens overnight, particularly in the world of uh, music and particularly in opera. Some of these singers have careers that run 20 years. Some of them go 50 years, but some of them burn out early. And uh, I, I, I consider myself very fortunate, and I thank God every day that I get up and I, you know, I hum a few lines and sing a few lines, and I'm saying, it's there. I still got it. So, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, that's, the way I, that's the way I felt. I retired at Symphony more or less because not that I probably couldn't continue to do it, but the strain on driving was was tough on Joyce because Joyce has perfect vision. I have macular degeneration. I told you the other day, Kenny, 
in our mm-hmm. phone conversation that I have macular degeneration, which is a retina condition, which is irreversible and which uh, they can help with shots. And I get those. And uh, the idea is to keep the pressure in the left eye down. My right eye is 20-20. So uh, the, the drive out to Tanglewood and back, you know, for eight weekends, nine weeks was a little too strenuous, particularly at night. So yeah, that's one of the reasons I backed off from that. But I really miss it. I, it's very bittersweet because uh, my heart is, like Tony says, his heart in San Francisco. My heart is still at Tanglewood in the Symphony Hall. <laughs> <laughs> but but there's a great crew that's carrying on in my replace. My my producer, who wrote all the scripts, is a guy named Brian McCreef, and uh, uh, and, and uh, my engineer, uh, a great great engineer by the way. Uh, Antonio Oliart, he's from South America. He's a terrific engineer. And those two gentlemen are carrying on the tradition, I'm delighted to say. And they're, they're, the, they're the best at what we got, too. You know, so I'm very happy they're continuing with it. You and I have had many conversations in the past about great announcers, great people, oh, no. great radio. Isn't it kind of sad that it's not that way anymore? Because it is for me. It is. And uh, when I when I watch some of the old movies on Turner Classic and film noir, especially those black and white movies, and I listen to great voices, you know, like uh, you know, voices coming out of those speaker speakers, you know, like Sterling Hayden. And uh, let's take some of these great, great radio radio voices. Uh, Orson Welles, my gosh, you know, who, who could beat Orson Welles when you come right down to it? And then in the radio, in the radio guys too, like you and I have talked about Milton Cross, the voice oh. of the Metropolitan Opera, Ben Grauer, who did yep. the NBC Symphony, Ken Carpenter, uh, yep. Don Wilson, on and on and on, Harry Bonzel. Yeah, they've all passed to the big microphone in the sky, but you know, we remember them. And uh, the great personalities we had in Boston, Jess, Jess Kane, uh, Bill Marlowe, uh, uh, all those great guys who were in Boston, too. Like your guy, Larry. I mean, Larry Glick, my gosh, one of a kind. Can I check? Yep. Wait a minute, I'll <laughs> check. Wait a minute, I'll check. <laughs> yep. Well, all those yeah. all those names that you mentioned we had when BZ celebrated their 50th anniversary, we had Ben Grower and Ken Carpenter and Harry yep. Donzel and Don Wilson. And you don't yep. know what a kick it was for me to be able to talk to these guys because I knew who of they course, were. Of course. And I was thinking of Joseph Cotton. What a voice he had. Joseph Cotton. Yeah, you yeah know. he was a great actor. And Don Amici. Don, Don Amici, Amici had yeah. a beautiful voice. His brother Jim Amici was Ontario and the Pirates. Gene Shepard. Let's not yeah. forget Gene Shepard. The, the, great, the greatest talk monologist in radio. The greatest storyteller in radio, bar none. To do it alone as he did without a cast, you know, with like having a, yep. the great Gildersleeve. Yep. He did it solo in a studio at night, many times alone in the, in the, in a dark studio, turning out those stories night after night, you know, is there and, anybody know, to, is there anybody today that can at all, or even come close to matching any of these people that we've talked about? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I think it was an era like, it was a radio renaissance. You know, Italy, the, the story of the, the Italian renaissance back in the 15th century, 
when we had we had we had Da Vinci and Michelangelo, and we had in, we had Rembrandt painting and other uh, like other in in Dutch in uh, Netherlands. We had all these great great artists, great painters, great authors, great song. And then later on in the thirties, forties, we had great songwriters and Broadway shows. I mean, uh, I think it was just a, a special era that will never come again. It may, maybe in a 200 years, 300 years, maybe, who knows? You know, there'll be somebody like that to continue, but uh, it's, it's hard to see, it's hard to imagine that coming all together in that one short period of time. You know what I mean? Yep. And it, it did, it did. Well, you know, there used to be a saying when radio was king, and I still think in some small way that it is. I don't think we've lost it. A lot of people have because of television, but I don't think we've lost radio in that respect. No, no, we haven't. And I have to say, and this is a plug for television now, you may be surprised, but I do watch a lot of, of, of these great shows that come out that are, are, are brilliant shows and stand up. We've got a lot of great young actors and actresses out there who can do anything. And a lot of wonderful writers who are turning out this stuff, particularly for, you know, Turner Classics and HBO and Prime. If you're very careful, you can check out the real good stuff and eliminate the bad stuff and only watch the good stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, yep. Yeah. So I think we're going through a, a renaissance in terms of quality television if you look for it. You know, I'm not talking about the usual reality TV stuff they're cheap to produce and cheap to watch. I'm yep. talking about the stuff that has quality all over it and good writing. And you see a lot of that on Netflix, you know, and uh, these uh, other networks, HBO occasionally does great stuff. So seek out the good stuff and, and eliminate the negative. <laughs> there are things that I can look at and take away for memories that I'll have the rest of my life. I'll always remember BZ's 50th anniversary and talking to those people that you mentioned and others like Art Linkletter and Kenny Delmar and Buffalo Bob Smith and, wow. and, and eventually getting to meet some of these people and, and, and hosting my own programs. For you, what is your greatest takeaway that you will remember? My greatest takeaway uh, probably, uh, well, at the top of the list, I consider the, being the voice of the Boston Symphony for 33 years, probably my greatest, uh, the greatest accolade people could say about me. And I, I say that humbly because I had a great predecessor, William Pierce, who you know. Oh, yeah. And, and I had a follow in the footsteps of, of William Pierce, who was really the voice of the BSO back from 1950 on. But I will say that, and also the opportunity, like you had, Kenny, to, to, to be friendly with with uh, Tony Bennett and and Frank Sinatra Jr. I never met Frank Sr., but his son was a great man, and uh, all these wonderful composers, Sammy Kahn that I met, uh, actors and actresses uh, who came through the studio, who I met and interviewed, and was privileged to be around and talk to, and there's so so many of them: George Shearing, Izzy Gillespie, Illinois Jackett. Uh, Errol Garner, so many of them that I got to know personally, and the great Dave McKenna, a giant of the keyboard. I mean, 
uh, be involved in a documentary about his life. And a short period of time, I worked at WBCN, and there was a documentary how BCN changed radio with the American Revolution, you know, over there on yep. Newbury Street. So I, I was a part of that somewhat. Like I left BCN when I li- went full time at GBH, but I still had a lot of friends over there, Charles Laquadera and and uh, all of the, all the staff over there, and it was wonderful to be a part of the, this uh, this part of radio in Boston, as you know, because you were there too with with Larry Glick. Yeah, Larry Larry Glick and others too. You know, guys like Jerry Williams. Uh, oh news yeah, people, news burning people up the air. Were, what a great book right. that is. The story of Jerry yeah, Williams. It's a fabulous book. Besides that, my name is in it. <laughs> oh, good for you. I can't remember what page it's on. You're in the Hall of Fame, right? As are you. Absolutely. How about that? <laughs> As are you. Exactly. How about that? Wait How a minute. We'll check. We are, we'll we check. Wait the... a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't whistle like that either. Now, yeah, we ought to take I over. Know. We ought to run the joint. We ought to run the joint, man. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Well, it, was, Mark, it was terrific. It was terrific, you know, to be on your show. I, we planned this for a long time and finally happened. Thanks to your uh, your producer, a great young man who helped talk me through the the way of getting on with you, which is terrific. And it, Kenny, you're a remarkable gen- genius in a way, knowing so much about radio. And I know you love it with all your heart, like I do. Absolutely. And and one of the nice things about it is to be able to look at people like you and say, I know that man. <laughs> well, you know, we have to thank is Guglielmo Marconi because. He's a gentleman <laughs> who's really responsible for a lot of it, Marconi. Yeah, we never we never got to know him. What a great interview he would. But Larry would say, is this Mr. Marconi? Guglielmo, can I check? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of guys that are going to be great interviews. Now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Listen, I want to thank you so much for taking time out to do this. And uh, I just wish you continued luck, good luck in whatever you do as far as radio was concerned. Uh, I think God is looking over your shoulder every day, and thank I can't you so thank much, you Ken. enough. Can't thank you enough for doing this. Thank you. R- Remember what we good. like to say: the best is yet to come. Exactly. I've heard that, as a matter of fact, and That's I think okay. it'll be true. It'll be true on Saturday night. Can't wait to hear the show. So, listen. You you take care. Say hi to your wife as always. Save me I some will. of that Yankee. Save me some Yankee sometimes. I'll, I'll save you some Yankee, Ken. That's a, that's a, that's that's going to happen. <laughs> and that'll do it for this edition of City Talk. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email. The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. That's kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk.